Till I'm tiptoed you. Dot com. The podcast about pop culture, black history, and spirituality. Yeah. It's about to be a great vibe. Dr. Tip. Gonna take it away. Till I'm tiptoed you. Joining me for another edition of Tell Em Tip Told You. I am in a very special place right now. I just left a, a massage. Ugh, I needed that so badly. And it has actually shifted everything I wanted to talk to you about today. Which is funny. I'm, I'm thinking about the scene in Color Purple where Suge Avery uh, tells Seely this, you know, this song is for you because you scratched it up out of my head. That's how I feel about this podcast. Uh, it has changed topics because she just rubbed it out. Um, oh, that sounded kind of funky, but you know what I mean. Um, so, I initially wanted to talk about, um, you know, it's back to school time, black education, uh, how to support our teachers, how to support our students. And I still want to cover those things, but I've got to start off by talking about the power of touch. If you spend 10 minutes with me, then you'll quickly find out that I'm a very touchy-feely person. Sometimes it gets me in trouble with people because they assume I'm flirting or um, that I'm trying to push up or whatever. Um, and it's not that. It's just I connect through to people through the power of touch. I love to be touched and I love to touch people. Now get your heads out of the gutter because I'm talking. Well, I'm going to probably touch on sexuality in just a second. But for the most part, I'm, I'm speaking platonic touch. Um, you know, one of the most endearing scenes in my recent memory is I went to go visit my um, my godmother in Lukumi, who lives in Atlanta. I went to her house to visit her, and one of our elders was there. Their, their contemporaries, both of them my elders, uh, was there, and she was braiding Madrina's hair. And while she was braiding her hair, I was sitting at the table, the, you know, the youngster, youngster in the bunch, not that young anymore, but the youngster in the bunch. And we were just talking about life in general, spirituality, you know, how best to tap into Egun, all kind of stuff like that. And I remember thinking, wow, this is such a beautiful scene. Like, you know, her, her being knuckles deep in my Madrina's beautiful soft hair, um, it just really touched me because there was such visible sisterhood present and I, I want that for me and my contemporaries. I want us to grow that way. And and um, you know, just leaving um, well, in the middle of the massage today, I got the message and I, she literally rubbed it out because she hit a knot and, and everything bubbled up in terms of um, I, needed, I needed to be touched today. And, and again not in a sexual way um but just in a affirming, physical contact, sharing energy and space kind of way. Um, I really needed it. And it's, it's um, I think we underestimate the power of touch. I remember growing up, you know, many, many of us who were once black girls have the memory of getting our hair pressed or getting our hair braided, sitting between 
some older woman's knees that she greased our scalp or scratched our scalp on special occasions and you know there I think that that kind of connection is severely missing in our contemporary lives you know I don't, I don't know my sister has sons I have no children so I don't know if mothers still sit like that or if it's a stand up at the bathroom mirror type deal but I needed those days between my grandmother's legs uh, you know <laughs> being snatched if I wasn't sitting still enough but there was something about the power of her touching and, the t and, and in Lukumi and a lot of our traditional African religions we understand the power that's held in, in one's head so the fact that the touching is in the hair that is on the head it's just it's a really powerful thing and I think as a community we should get back to scratching somebody's hair like so many sisters now have wigs and tracks and I'm not downplaying that at all if that's your cosmetic choice that's your choice um, but I, I really want us to, to return to spending time just really being intimate with another sister in, in doing her hair doing her hair. That, I, that's why I love the professional black girl series that Yaba Blay is, is putting out on YouTube and on Instagram because we need it. We need to be reminded that connection happens physically a lot of times and I think because we live in such a hypersexual society uh, we forget that platonic touch is important and I'm going to probably give you TMI right now. I, I, you know when she was rubbing out that knot what I was thinking is I'm starved for physical touch. I'm not celibate. But too often when I'm with someone intimately, then their hands wander straight to my breast or the honey. They very seldom spend time, you know, rubbing your shoulder or your calf or, you know, it's always some if you do get the physicality then it's usually supposed to and that's supposed to I'm doing air quotes you can't see them it's supposed to end up in uh, the physical act of intercourse and I think for me if the physical touch is only so that you get what you want out of this it's not authentic and it doesn't feel the same um, I like to, again I like to touch when I'm sitting next to somebody even a stranger if I laugh I'm probably going to grab your arm um, if I'm sitting next to, to someone I am physically interested in then you know I'm probably stroking their arm but not necessarily trying to lead up to intercourse but sometimes I just need the physical contact this this is going somewhere completely different than I wanted to go today um, so I'm going to I'm going to pause that conversation here. Maybe we can continue that on another podcast or in another form uh, in my inbox um, at Dr. Tip at TellEmTipToldYou.com. But I think in our communities, we need more touch. We need more positive touch. We need more hugs, like really platonic, strong, hold you for a minute, pat your back hugs. I don't think we get enough of that anymore. And I need it. And I don't think I'm the only person that needs it. You know, some some of my sisters, I see your pictures and you're beautiful, but, you know, your face looks empty. Some of my brothers, you know, you're fine as hell. I know you're getting some kind of physical contact, but because of the way it's coming, I don't know if you're, you're getting everything you need. So, you know, I'm just thinking about that a lot today. She just literally on, on that massage table uh, helped me find that. It was in me. I, she just helped me find it. So I just wanted to say that today. Okay, so it's almost back to school time. Or for some of us, it is back to school time. I know I have to report 
August 1st back to campus and uh, my sister who teaches middle school is already back to work. The kids go back in a, number, a couple of weeks. The stores are already chocked full of um, school supplies and back to school sales and et cetera, et cetera. Don't forget to, to be involved in local politics because here in Georgia, we no longer have the tax-free weekend. That's a whole nother story. I'm not getting into that, but be involved in local politics. Okay, so back to school. Now, you know, one of the most aggravating, I'm, one of the most aggravating things, I'm just going to jump right into it. One of, the, one of the most aggravating things to me that comes up when people talk about black education is that our children don't value education. And that's a bullshiggity. Our children value education. They might not value public school. Let's not get that twisted. There is a difference between education and schooling. There's a wonderful book called Too Much Schooling, Too Little Education, A Paradox of Black Life and White Society by Limu J. Shuja, my mentor, one of my mentors. And in it, Shuja really gives verbiage to this distinction that I think we need to make between education and schooling. And he talks about how schooling, its sole purpose is to replicate status quo. It, it seeks to replicate society as it currently exists. And if we go back to the history of public education in this country, one of the primary reasons that public education is a thing is to prepare what Thomas Jefferson called the ideal citizen. So to prepare someone to go along with the government, to participate as an informed citizen in the government, but not to shape the government too much, right? So that's where the status quo comes in. We kind of repeat what it is we've been given. That's why all of us know that in 1492, right, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Uh, so we knew that even before there was talk of a common core curriculum that we were all learning the same things the same way, roughly at the same time, because public schooling has always been geared towards creating a certain kind of citizen. Uh, evidence of that is found when you look into the history of Indian schools, Indian boarding schools in this country, where Native American children were snatched from families and put in these boarding schools. And one of the sayings by one of the founders, General Pratt, was, kill the Indian, save the man. They tried to trip the strip these children of their language, their culture, and their names uh, so that they could become more quote-unquote viable citizens in the United States. So this has always been part of the trend in U.S. public education. So our students may be resisting schooling, but I would argue that it's not education that they're resisting. If you know, and many of us do, if you know a good teacher, odds are he or she has stories about students that perform for them in ways that they don't perform for other teachers or students who are disciplinary issues for other teachers but not for the master teacher. Part of that comes from what Asa Hilliard said that there is no mystery on how to educate children. The first thing you do is treat them like human beings and the second thing you do is love them. You know and students can feel that. Children feel that. And if you are, I tell my students all the time, if you don't like kids, don't go into the classroom. Don't jack up somebody else's kids because you got issues. If you don't love your children, and notice I said your children, because we have to see them as ours. If you don't love your children, you have no place in the classroom. Um, I'm just happy to report that I know a bunch of really fly educators who are doing good work for our kids. And a lot of kids 
people are doing good work for fly educators. I think what we need to do as a community is to increase the number of good teachers among us by um, investing in the profession, by respecting the professionalism of teachers. Because I don't think some, I think sometimes parents forget that teachers spend time in school learning some shit. Like anybody standing up in front of a room is not necessarily a good teacher. All of us have had, you know, the really effed up teachers. Just because you have a lot of content knowledge does not mean that you're a teacher. So I think we have to invest more in teacher education. I think we need to recruit people into the field uh, that have a sincere love and commitment to our youth. And something that all of us can do, again, it's back to school time, is to invest in these teachers and our schools. My, my sister, when she first became a teacher, I'll never forget it, she was at a Title I school. Title I schools are usually in low-income areas, and they're usually predominantly black or brown, or both. I say brown, brown, or both. And they're, they get some supplemental funding, but it's never enough. And I remember my sister that first year, she was given one ream of paper. Did you hear me? One ream of paper. In the district where I currently live, there are no books for students to take home. Can you imagine trying to do algebra? You don't have a book, right? I just, how, how the hell are you reading Shakespeare and you don't have a book you can take home? They've, they've got the one-to-one -one device program where everybody supposedly has a tablet, but um, let's not forget that everybody does not have free internet at home or free uh, unlimited data packages. Some families can't afford that. I I'm getting off topic. But anyway, so one of the things that we should do as people who are committed to our communities and especially to our youth is to just buy some school supplies and give them to a teacher. You would be surprised. You would be surprised. I was reading an article uh, and I can't, if I can remember it, I'll post it on the website, but I, I can't remember right now where I read it, but it, it was about this teacher who had um, written a grant and gotten some brand new books for her classroom, and she remembered being shocked and saddened that the children were surprised that someone thought they deserved new books. This is the world that some of our students live in. They, they, they're not used to strangers investing in them. Now, I would argue that there, there was a time in black history where we were accustomed to seeing a black face and more often than not, that black face being committed to you and your children. Now, I'm not saying that's always the case because Zora Neale Hurston reminds us that all our skin folk ain't our kin folk, but and she's writing from this time period that I'm referring to. But I, I, I think there has been a decline in how committed we are to the entire community. I think too many of us are focused on making sure our students have the new Jordans, the fresh new gear, uh, the, the, the reams of paper, the cute notebook, the fly backpack, and we're not thinking about the other students in the classroom and what they may have. And I think we need to return to that kind of community to investing 
in that kind of community. Now I want to get off that and jump into something that to me is related. And that is this fiasco of foolishness that's going on with R. Kelly. And we know he's a pedophile. We've known it. Why are people still defending it? I would argue that part of it is because no one trusts black girls. It saddens me. Nobody trusts us. Like when we say we were touched in a certain kind of way, the statistics of how many of us, who, oh my gosh, I don't, how many of us have had sexual encounters without giving consent? I can't even finish this right now, so I'll, um, I'll come back and finish this later. I'm sorry about that. I had to take a minute to, um, get myself together. I got caught up a little bit in my feelings. Y'all know I get emotional. Um, and I did what I tend to do when I am emotional or stressed or anything of that nature. Even sometimes inspired, I turn to the history. And so because we're talking about black women and our voices, I turn to Mama Anna Julia Cooper and her famous seminal text, A Voice from the South. And she reminds us of why people may be so dazzled with the superstardom of uh, someone like R. Kelly that we uh, turn a blind eye to some of their ills. She writes, the Negro is constitutionally hopeful and proverbially impressible and naturally stands in danger of being dazzled by the shimmer and tinsel of superficials. We often mistake foliage for fruit and overestimate or wrongly estimate brilliant results. The late Martin R. Delaney, who was an unadulterated black man, used to say when honors of state fell upon him, that when he entered the Council of Kings, the black race entered with him, meaning, I suppose, that there was no discounting his race identity and attributing his achievements to some admixture of Saxon blood. But our present record of eminent men, when placed beside the actual status of the race in America today, proves that no man can represent the race, whatever the attainments of the individual may be, unless his home has moved, he can never be regarded as identical with or representative of the whole. Not by pointing to sunbathed mountaintops do we prove that Phoebus warms the valleys. We must point to homes, average homes, homes of the rank and file of horny-handed, toiling men and women of the South, where the masses are, lighted and cheered by the good, the beautiful, and the true. Then and not till then will the whole plateau be lifted into sunlight. And here's my favorite part, y'all. Only the black woman can say, when and where I enter in the quiet, undisputed dignity of my womanhood without violence and without suing or special patronage, then and there the whole Negro race enters with me. Is it not evident then that as individual workers for this race, we must address ourselves with no half-hearted zeal to this feature of our mission? The need is felt and must be recognized by all. There is a call for workers, for missionaries, I'm inserting a side eye there, y'all, for men and women with the double consecration of a fundamental love of humanity and a desire for its melioration through the gospel, but superadded to this, we demand an intelligent and sympathetic comprehension of the interests and special needs of the Negro. So, you know, I turned to Mama Anna Julia Cooper because 
She reminds us that until the whole of our race understands the importance of the black woman's voice, then we're still going to have some problems. She also reminds us that sometimes we're too easily distracted by the superstardom, the, 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 the thrills and the, and the chills and whatever else we get from an R. Kelly song or from an R. Kelly concert. And we forget that there are human beings in his wake. And so, you know, I just want us to be reminded of that, to be, um, to be more careful of how we treat victims of sexual violence. Um, I want us to be more understanding of their needs. I want us to be more aware that they exist. Like every sister I know, and I mean every sister I know, I know what the statistics say, but every sister I know has some story of some unwanted, unwelcome sexual contact or and or advance. And that's just not the world we want to leave for our children, I don't think. So I want us to do more work there. I want us to think about that more. Again, I'm still up in my feelings. Um, so this podcast is real janky. Um, I, but I wanted to come back and finish. And I wanted to finish with the history. I hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful day. And I promise that the next one won't be so heavy. Thanks. Have a great one. Bye.